Lord, we are so grateful that we're able to gather together on a Sunday morning uh, to study your word and to uh, fellowship with other believers. That's uh, it's just such a great thing that we're able to do, and we uh, greatly appreciate that. Lord, we thank you for <clears throat> all the great things that you do in our lives throughout the day. Lord, and especially that you give us great uh, events to travel to. And Lord, we just pray that uh, while people are traveling during these snowy conditions, uh, that they would all be safe. And of course, Lord, we offer up uh, our nation as we always do every week and every day uh, in the chaos that exists in this uh, country with the political matters <clears throat> and the animosity that grows between different groups of people and how it seems to separate us uh, more and more. Lord, we do pray for your mercy to be on every member of Congress and that you would show your strength and face in each one of the situations there, Lord God, that things would resolve well. But in all things, we look forward to your one day returning and uh, setting here on the earth with uh, with your rule and reign and uh, sense of righteousness. Lord, we just thank you in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Charlie. Today we have, again, the privilege of opening God's Word together. I am especially um, thankful that we've gotten to this point in Philippians. It's uh, really a very special verse, uh, verse number 11 of um, chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 11 in Philippians is a very, very special verse. And we've laid a lot of uh, foundation for understanding that already. And I hope today that we'll be able to finish that portion of the letter well. I've always found this particular verse to be a challenge. It's mostly a challenge, I think, uh, in the sense that really... Uh, Paul has made such a strong exhortation and he set forth the example of Christ and then his own example for us to follow. And that's where the challenge is, right? And uh, it's not so much a challenge in the interpretation of the word, although that also is an issue, as we'll see. But, but really the big challenge is that it's a challenge for us individually and personally that Having come to know the grace of God and the and received the marvelous riches of that grace through Christ's finished work, we are then set forth on a course of life, and that course of life involves challenges by necessity, it, and that's really what the whole section was about, and we've spent already quite a lot of time on that. Uh, what Paul learned, and we looked at this last time, was that, and this is, I stated this the way I did in order to uh, show the uh, the fullness of the meaning there uh, so that we wouldn't miss uh, his point. <laughs> he learned that suffering is better than deliverance. And that was right at the essence of him learning the fullness of God's grace, right? Suffering is better than deliverance. Now, that's only possible, of course, if God's program for us is eternal, right? If it were mainly focused on this life, 
that would not be possible at all. I mean, it would we would have to be always delivered out of these various trials into some glorious point, sort of mounting up, you know, <laughs> making our way up the mountain from one plateau to the next and everything here just getting better and better and better in some human sense. That's if everything was only about this life. But of course it isn't. This life is only a preparation for eternity, right? And that's the focus of the letter to the Philippians. And what Paul, he was in the process of learning and of which he writes here in this letter. So he summarizes his his attitude, his own thinking about this in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30, where he wrote, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. So Paul was learning that suffering together with Christ was better than deliverance. Now, we can always say, well, he was delivered, of course, right? Well, spiritually speaking, yes. <laughs> In fact, that was his constant resting place, right? Uh, to rest in the fullness of the glory and grace of God. Spiritually, he was delivered. But the circumstances of his life, in some cases, didn't uh, improve. Uh, if anything, uh, many of those circumstances only uh, got more difficult. And the greatest of them seemed to be the challenge of false teachers who perverted the gospel and perverted Paul's message of grace everywhere they went. And they followed Paul around from place to place. And uh, as a result, he writes these letters, most of them being in response to false uh, teachings that have crept into the churches that Paul founded on his various missionary journeys, right? Now, I'm going to reread a, a few verses that <clears throat> were really right in the center of what we had looked at before because of the power uh, in these words and how they draw us into understanding uh, the whole point he's making here. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, and then verses 10 and 11. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And then a little later, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So the one is for the sake of the other. One is for the benefit of the other. The one is to produce the other. So if you ask that great question, why do we suffer? That's the answer. God has an eternal perspective. He's preparing us for that great, great glory, right? And it's in his good plan that 
these things happen. And so God is working to everything together for our good, therefore. Now, we will have many trials in this life. And they will be greater than we can bear, humanly speaking, often, right? But we should never doubt that it is the Lord God at work. Nevertheless, if it were not true, then how much uh, of the promises would ultimately be proven false, right? So that's where we stand today in the sphere of God's rich grace. Uh, Paul also writes about it in uh, Colossians chapter 1. We looked at that before also. I'll just read the one verse. I think this is sort of the capstone verse in all of Paul's letters regarding the subject of suffering. He says there about himself, he says, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Okay. So and when we read those words, uh, I'm sure you like, if you're like me, many times you read those words and said, what is this all about? Really? How can there be sufferings of Christ yet ongoing? Right. And the answer is because of his connection, his intimate connection with and relationship to us. Right. When we suffer, he suffers. Okay, so there are even more sufferings ahead for the Lord Jesus because of that. And uh, we are enjoined by the apostle to uh, follow along as he is, right, in, in this uh, life, on this path, which will involve us suffering together with him and of course, together with one another, right? Remember, he says in another place, bearing the burdens, right? We're to bear the burdens of one another. It's all part of the same life process that we have. It's uh, it's a principle being revealed here that's extremely important. First, the suffering, then the glory. That was true of Christ, right? And that's true of us as well. Now, when we read those words in Colossians 1.24, though, I'm sure uh, you, you were probably remembering, or at least I hope you were, I'm certainly remembering those words in uh, Philippians 3 that we looked at uh, several studies in a row, where we, we found these words, being made conformable unto his death. So um, Paul writes about sharing in Christ's sufferings that way says being made conformable unto his death. Now, we, we already uh, went into the meaning of that word, why he uses the word conformable there and so forth. Uh, so really the issue is bringing forth so others could see that which is already true and real inside of us. Okay, so we already have the life of Christ dwelling within us, but is that being brought forth in our living experience? And um, when it is, then there's perfect harmony between uh, what is coming out. What's, in other words, what's coming out is a reflection of what God has put in, right? This isn't complicated. I hope it's beginning to be clear and simple. Okay. Now, uh, 
I want to skip ahead. I, I, I would like to dwell further on uh, this basic subject of what it means to be an imitator, because Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, it says, be an imitator of me, even as I also am of Christ. In other words, Paul was imitating Christ, and he's explaining how in these letters, right? And uh, we're supposed to imitate him. Now, uh, what I hear today all of the time is quite different from that. I, what I always hear, and you always hear, uh, I'm sure, too, is that uh, in every circumstance of life, we're supposed to ask the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus think? What would Jesus do, right? Bring it sort of down into the worldly realm in a way that I don't think is, is uh, meant here. Uh, at least that's not the way Paul writes about it. And I think he doesn't write about it that way for a reason. It's rather how did Jesus think when he left heaven's glory, right? We looked at that several uh, lessons back, right? What kind of purity of motive and love did he have for sinners that led him to willingly choose to leave heaven's glory to come to this earth and then ultimately to suffer the shame of the death of the cross, right? What was it that led him? What kind of mindset did he have in all of that? That's what's supposed to be operative in our lives, the same mindset. And what Paul is really saying is that because of the blessings of God that he's worked out in us in giving us a new nature and giving us the Holy Spirit and giving us the very life of Christ to live, uh, that's how we should live. That's the dynamic of it. That's the power of it. It isn't trying to do what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. In fact, you'll be hard-pressed to find uh, the kinds of examples in Jesus' earthly ministry that we often need today. Our circumstances may be very different, may not even be written of back there that Jesus in that exact situation did that or thought that, right? In fact, people get all wrapped up in this, trying to figure out, and now what am I supposed to do, right? Thinking of it in the wrong way, whereas really the life of Christ for us today is simplicity, indeed. It's a matter of rest, and it's a matter of confidence. It's a matter of faith that the Lord is working through us to give us the desires of his heart, and those desires may be brought forth. Uh, very straightforwardly, okay? It's not an issue then of avoiding sin as much as it's an issue of bringing forth life, okay? The avoiding sin really goes much without saying, right? Of course, <laughs> if you are living a life of sin, you've short-circuited the working of the grace of God. What could be clearer of that, right? Clearer than that, but... Uh, but let's say you're not, right? Then the issue is always, how should we live, right? And uh, Paul is writing about that specific question in this letter to the Philippians. Okay, um, let's uh, move ahead to the scripture for today. I'm not going to read it to you right now. We will be reading some of it uh, as we, we go ahead, especially towards the end today. But uh we're still in the same section, Philippians 3, but we're going to end up in verse 11, where Paul writes about the resurrection, okay? 
And uh, <clears throat> I'll just read now uh, a couple of verses from there, and then we'll look at them again a little later. I count all things but loss. This is verse 8 of Philippians 3. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. And then he goes on, and we'll be looking specifically at those verses. Be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. So the title for today will be uh, The Witness of the Apostle Paul to be found in him. And here's our outline. First of all, we'll see that the this is all about resurrection and resurrection life. Okay, the, the biblical concept of resurrection is trans-dispensational. In, in other words, every believer in every age had a resurrection hope. There is simply no question about that, right? Think of Job. Think of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Think of Moses, right? Think of David. Every, think of Daniel. Every believer in every dispensational framework had a resurrection hope. But the resurrections are not all unto exactly the same thing, right? And uh, there are differences there. And uh, in eternity future, there'll be differences. Uh, okay, so that's just the fact. Uh, but that believers have always had a resurrection hope is, uh, I think, uh, the clear teaching of the Bible as a whole. Okay, so that's the first point. Uh, the second point is that our resurrection is distinctive dispensationally and unconditionally. Okay, there there is... Some difference in the teaching of the Apostle Paul concerning our resurrection. And in fact, the timing of it is very different indeed, right? Because the timing of our resurrection is the rapture itself, right? Which is before the tribulation period begins. So seven years before other Saints with a kingdom of hope are resurrected, will be resurrected or transformed if we're still alive at that point. So our resurrection is very distinctive dispensationally. Third point is really the culmination of the teaching here. And, and that's the resurrection that is out from among many. And that's the language Paul uses there in Philippians 3.11 the out-resurrection, that resurrection, has a very special meaning, and I want us to grasp it today, if we haven't already, to really grasp what Paul is writing about there when he says his entire life is focused on that resurrection, okay? Um, because he's, he's talking about resurrection there in a special sense, and I want us to see what that is. Not everyone will have that resurrection. Not even everyone who's a member of Christ's body will have that resurrection. It's very special for just some. You'll see as we go ahead, it has to be this way. Otherwise, Scripture doesn't mean 
what it says. Okay. Okay, fine. Don't assume I'm talking about a special different resurrection at a different time. I'm not. <laughs> it's all at the same time, but there are differences. You should know this just by uh, what Paul writes about uh, the judgment seat of Christ and how judgment will occur at that time, right? Remember the wood, hay, stubble, and versus, you know, other things, precious stones, gold and silver, and so forth, right? There's a difference, all right? <clears throat> and we should seek the one and not the other, all right? Okay, so let's start out, and this is a big review because we've already spent much time on this many months ago, actually, but, but the order of the resurrections that the Bible teaches is given in 1 Corinthians 15 in some detail. And uh, so I'd like us to start out there, Patty. I'd like you to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 19 through 26, where we see the order of resurrections. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Okay, thank you. Okay, so there are the resurrections in a general sense. He's he's talking prophetically, okay? I, I just previously said that every believer had a hope of resurrection, all right? Remember Job, I know my Redeemer liveth. And what? He shall stand upon the earth in the latter day. He shall stand upon the earth in the latter day. Job had a resurrection home, more specifically, he had a kingdom hope, actually, and uh, and he uh, spoke very powerfully concerning that in his writing there. We call it the book of Job, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes uh, had the promises prophetically given to them that there would be this resurrection. That's why they had their bones taken into the promised land, because the resurrection for them was going to occur uh, when God gave them the land of promise, and they would be resurrected in that land, right? Uh, so, but, but none of that could ever happen unless Christ was raised, and that's what he's talking about here. One of the prerequisites for God fulfilling his entire plan was that, and the most important prerequisite was that Christ would be raised from the dead. If he were not, 
then Satan won. That would be the end of the plan of God <laughs> redemption, right? Uh, Satan would have defeated God in that case. So Christ having been raised from the dead is uh, the absolute uh, foundation for resurrection hope for the believer. And that's uh, the whole teaching there, 1 Corinthians 15, right? So the first in the order of resurrections, he says, is Christ risen from the dead. He is the first fruits of them that slept. Okay. Then after that, uh, Paul in the section mentions, uh, he says that, but every man is going to be resurrected in his own order. So there's different orders depending upon how uh, an individual fits in the whole plan of God, prophetically speaking, right? So then he says, after Christ the first fruits, they that are Christ that is coming. They that are Christ that is coming. And then the final or last, or in the King James says the end, just means the final resurrection. Okay. And that's at the end of the kingdom. He says, when he had, shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. So at the end of the kingdom is when the final resurrection occurs. And that's when the great white throne judgment occurs. And you have in that resurrection, you have kingdom saints who, there are a few, not too many, I think, who've died during the kingdom. And uh, and then you have unbelievers in general who are resurrected at the end of the kingdom. And uh, then the great, great white throne judgment will will occur. And finding out who's written in the book of life, right, will be the, uh, the key issue there. And they will be judged, he says, according to their works. Okay? Um, so you don't want to be in that second final resurrection there, but rather in the first if you're a kingdom saint, right? Okay, so there are the orders of the resurrection given. But I do not believe, and we've taught here many times about this, I do not believe that our resurrection, namely the one associated with the rapture, is even listed here. We're not there, okay? This is the, the rapture. This is the resurrections according to prophecy. But Paul gets later in the chapter to ours, but when he gets to it, he uses the word mystery, and this is uh, in First Corinthians 15. Roy, I want you to read that for us, if you would, please. Those two critical verses: First Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52. Behold. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, for the last trump, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall rise incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Thank you, Roy. Okay, so there is uh, the resurrection we, as members of the body of Christ, are going to experience if we're not still alive. When we hear the voice, the call, and the shout, and are caught up alive into heaven's glory. And at that point, though, if we are uh, raptured, we will find our bodies radically changed. We will be given resurrection bodies, even though we never died. Okay? Of course, all those who died who were members of the body will also be raised at that time. Uh, so this is for the body of Christ. It's called a mystery because it wasn't revealed before. It's not this revelation is not part of prophecy, in other words. 
the resurrections according to prophecy were listed earlier in the chapter. Now we get to the one that's associated with the mystery, with the sacred secret revealed through Paul. Okay, so that is most important to understand uh, if we want to talk about resurrection. Our resurrection is distinctive dispensationally, and it's also uh, quite unconditional in every sense of the word, meaning there's, there are not any distinctions. I mean, in, at the time of the, the, the rapture, um, you will you will be raised together with every other member of the body of Christ who's ever lived, right? So we're talking 1,900 plus years. All those who were saved by the grace of God through believing this gospel are going to be raised together at that time. Not some earlier, some later, because some were, what, overcomers, for example. I mean, these things are taught in churches everywhere that overcomers are going to get an early resurrection, right? Or not have to suffer suffer something terrible on this earth. But no, all members of the body of Christ will be resurrected at the same time. And those who are alive... And remain, as he reveals very clearly in First Thessalonians, they will be uh, changed uh, as well at that time and receive a resurrection body. Okay, this will be before the tribulation even begins. Pre-tribulation rapture, very important teaching of the Apostle Paul in these letters. Okay, so the rapture is a guaranteed certainty. For all believers, no exceptions. Oh, but now we get to this uh, resurrection mentioned in chapter 3 and verse uh, 11. Okay. And here we find out there is a conditional aspect. So this cannot be the same resurrection that he's talking about before. That one is unconditional and applies to all members of the body of Christ, without exception. This one is not applicable to all. If it were, Paul couldn't write about it the way he does. So let's read this. And Charlie, I'd like you to read it for us. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already Perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I also, I also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many be perfect. Be thus minded, and if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Okay, thank you, Chuck. You see that there's a number of conditions here. It's not certain. Paul here says absolutely that he was not certain of receiving this particular resurrection. Nothing could be clearer than that. He says, if by any means I might attain 
unto this resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained or were already perfected or, in other words, already matured in the sense in which he's writing of here. Uh, verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended. <laughs> but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful statement right there. Uh, so here we see the race analogy again. So here's the sporting event. Paul has used this analogy in other places. And um, in, in uh, his day, and generally speaking, uh, this has been true, although today, of course, everyone who runs wins because the whole concept of winning is considered uh, somehow discriminatory in 21st century uh, America. I mean, can you believe this? That uh, excelling and winning races is to be downplayed and not, in, in fact, uh, exalted as a benefit, right? So when one is running a race, you are not... Uh, unconcerned about uh, winning. You are very, very much concerned about winning and uh, not losing everything. So what he what he says here is that there's a prize for those who win, right? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, okay? This race Analogy is very, very important. If we miss this, we miss the whole meaning here. Paul is talking about a resurrection that one can attain to and a prize that one may receive, right? Um, isn't that quite clear? Not everyone is going to have this benefit or this blessing. He's not even sure of himself. But he, he's not unsure that he's going to be resurrected and be with Christ. That isn't what this is about at all. This is about something that's dependent on living out of the calling that God has for him in his life, right? Living it out fully, living it out completely, living it out properly. That's what this section is about. And so you might wonder why he uses the word resurrection the way he does there in verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Well, I'm happy to tell you that the King James translation isn't perfect. <laughs> Sometimes I will tell you that. Most of the time it's quite excellent. Sometimes it could be improved upon. Much of that is a matter of uh, language that has become archaic and therefore, uh, more modern words sometimes uh, will be more meaningful to us today. This is not an example of that here. Here we actually see a place where the King James translators left out something critically important. And that's that the word translated resurrection here is not the same word found any place else and translated resurrection elsewhere. This word is the ordinary word for resurrection with something put in front of it, a prefix, okay? And so what Paul is saying here is that there's a special resurrection I'm talking about here, right? 
And that's what I seek to gain, right? And the whole language here is about seeking and gaining, right? He says that I may gain Christ earlier in this chapter. He says that I might win Christ earlier in this section, right? He says that that I might be found not having my own righteousness, right? Uh, well, we all have the righteousness of Christ if we're uh, truly saved, right? By grace through faith, we have the righteousness of Christ even now. And Paul writes about that in a lot of places. But here he's talking about something different. Here he's talking about the living out of this. Remember earlier in chapter 2, he says, it is God who works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But are we going to embrace that life? Or, when, or will we turn back to worldly ways and live as if we were a religious uh, unbeliever, right? So we are called with a heavenly calling. The question then is, will we run this race? the way Paul did, and therefore win this special prize. Paul writes about prizes in other places, too. Remember, right at the end of his life, he wrote about one, and he talked about a crown, right? At that point, he talked about a crown of righteousness, right? Who will receive the crown of righteousness? Everyone? That's not what he says there. He says it's those who loved his appearing. Not every believer loves his appearing. Many are caught up in the world and living according to the regulations of the world, right, which will not bring glory. In fact, when Paul writes about the judgment seat of Christ, he says you've got different varieties of what works, right, different varieties. Some will be burned. They don't deserve the eternal blessing, in other words, right? Others will be like precious stones, like gold and silver, right? They will endure that fire, and and they will, in fact, bring glory eternally, not to us personally, because it wasn't we ourselves who brought them forth in that case, but they were works based upon Christ. He says only that that which is based on Jesus Christ will last, right? Okay, so you see, there is a division at the judgment seat of Christ between believers who do not willingly receive the life and the living of it that has been gifted to us as the greatest blessing of all for this time, right? That we might then in heaven's glory someday more properly and more completely reflect the glory of Almighty God. And that's really the teaching here. Paul wanted to receive this special resurrection, meaning the resurrection with those divine blessings and gifts that come to those who walk uh, in the path that Paul himself walked in. Now, why is he unsure of himself? He might, you might think that he could be quite sure <laughs> of, of his eternal blessing in this particular regard. After all, he's our example, right? 
Well, this is all a matter of what, as he says before, having the mindset of Christ when he willingly left heaven's glory and came to this earth. All that we are able to work out, do I dare use those words? Yes. Work out in this life will be an imperfection, an imperfect representative of that, right? So doesn't he have to write of this tentatively, right? Um, after all, Paul, when he was beset with uh, that thorn in the, in the flesh, remember? He cried out to be delivered, didn't he? And what did Christ say to him? He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And what was Paul's response to that? Then I will glory in my infirmities, right? That the power of Christ might rest upon me. The resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing. Well, those words, I think, should stand in our mind there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, that, that we might be found as Paul desired to be in him, not having mine own righteousness, which he adds, is of the law, but that which is through, through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection. I would say the out-resurrection, the one which is out from among dead ones. Okay? So the question is, will we follow Paul as he follows Christ? He needs to have the mindset of Christ Jesus, right? Uh means not working according to the law and trying to justify ourselves that way. Maybe not even Muslim, maybe our own law, right? Maybe trying to live up to our own standard all the time and consistently failing, of course, right? But rather in direct fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, even sharing in his sufferings and conformable unto his death. If that's the way our lives are lived, then Christ's resurrection life will be ours each step of the journey. Amen and amen. To God be the glory, right? Great things he hath done. <laughs> so are we willing to walk that walk? That's the question. <clears throat> Salvation is just the beginning of the walk, right? But all of it has some eternal consequence and perspective. This life is only a preparation for eternity. Well, praise the Lord. That's uh, all I have to say today. I think it was quite a lot. Uh, we've worked up to this point pretty slowly, especially the last uh few lessons trying to lay the foundation for verse 11 here. So I hope this has been a blessing to you. Are there any comments, questions, or 
Hmm. Praises, thanksgivings, whatever you would like to add. I enjoyed thinking about the uh, different resurrections as um, not technically receiving a participation award, but rather it's actually something that we have to attain to mm. and looking forward to his coming. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, the resurrections will be the consequence really, of one's faith, right? Ultimately. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay, uh, there's much in Daniel's uh, letters, by the way, his prophecy, and also in the book of Revelation about other believers in other contexts, other millennial contexts, receiving their glorious gifts, and there will be differentiation there between them. You know, There will be over overcomers in the, in the uh, tribulation period who will be believers who are overcoming and Indeed, they'll very, be very, very special. Okay, any other comments or, or questions? I see that Linda never did get connected. That's too bad. Miss her today. Okay. Well, let's uh, close in prayer then. Father, we, we're humbled, as indeed we should be, reading these words. Uh, it is a glorious salvation that we have, and the walk, the walk that you've blessed us with is most wonderful. Uh, to have what's called newness of life, to have that now as a gift, to, to have Christ himself dwelling in us and his life being our empowering Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that works in us to show us your truth and to guide and lead us regarding it. Father, thank you for every blessing that we have here in this life. And thank you that you're working all things together for your good, even these trials and tribulations that we face. So, Father, whatever we face, we know that our burden is light while we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So, thank you, Father, for your precious word and its great, great encouragement. And for this group, Father, I would ask your blessing upon each one here, and uh, hear these words, that we might be blessed uh, together with the saints in glory someday, as we realize the full benefit of all that you've done in and through us. Father, that that's based entirely on the finished work of Christ is our testimony. And may we be bold for you, Father, to share him with others. Thank you in Christ's name and amen.